Hello and welcome to Judas Roar Podcast. My name is Jordan Griffith. I'm a minister and it is my prayer that this podcast helps you grow in your relationship with God. Walk with me through the garden of relationship as I share with you the words that the Lord has put on my heart and I pray that the messages are a blessing to you. Welcome back to another podcast through Judas Roar. This is Jordan, and we're going to continue on with the teaching from my book, The Footsteps of Discipleship, which was published in 2020. Uh, The purpose of this book is to uh, establish, help new converts or elders and mentors of the church to establish some basics that a new convert needs to know. Uh, Things like the basics of salvation, the representation of water baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, the importance of reading the Bible, prayer life, praise and worship, uh, the importance of attending church and having an established place of worship, things like that. Um, the idea of it is is that the church has been notorious for making converts but not disciples, and we are commanded to make disciples. So we don't want to just see, just like a baby, be born and tell it to fend for itself because it still needs its parents to make its bottle, change its diapers, and make sure that it has everything that that, that the baby needs. And so we have to be the same way with converts. We have to take care of them and help them grow and mature. And that's not being demeaning. That's That's not being disrespectful. But we need to be there for them and help them figure out their new faith. Uh, And I definitely want to be a part of that. I think that's awesome. So we're going to continue with chapter 5, which is entitled, The Bible. Without God's Word, we would have no knowledge of God. We would have no idea how to live or how to conduct ourselves, how to pray or who God was. Not knowing, applying, and performing God's Word is very important for the lives of the believers. And so the first thing that I talk about is some basic Bible information. I talk about how it's divided up. The Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, slash New Covenant. The New Testament is a time period that basically starts when Jesus is made manifest uh, in the flesh, or born on earth. There's 39 books of the Old Testament, and 27 in the New, for a total of 66. Um, The Old Testament is divided into three categories. The first five books are known as the Pentateuch, or the Torah, the Law, the Law of Moses, and it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, so it's there. The second group is called the Prophets, and you have the major prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, the Minor Prophets, uh, which is like a subsection, like the uh, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Nahum, Hosea, Malachi, for example. And then there's the group called the Writings, which is like First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and those. The New Testament is divided into categories, much like the Old Testament. The four, first four books, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called the Gospels. Uh, they minister and reveal the good news of Jesus. Uh, the Gospels recount his life on earth. 
Sometimes the book of Acts of the Apostles are ascribed to the Gospels as well sometimes. Most of the time, that is labeled separately by itself in as church history. And then there are the Pauline epistles, which were written by uh, Paul. And there were some that were written by Peter. And there were some that was written by John. And then you have the book, and there was one, of course, by Jude as well. And then there was uh, the last one, the last book, which is uh, the book of Revelation, which is apocryphal. Well, it's not uh, not apocryphal. It's apocalyptic in nature, meaning revelation, future-oriented. Uh, some books of the Bible are, uh, com- uh, are commandments and prophetic instructions like Genesis through Deuteronomy. Some are historical accounts like Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, Kings and Chronicles. And others are songs like Song of Solomon and the Book of Psalms. Some are even poetry. Others are personal accounts of witnessed events like the Gospels or letters written to different churches by Paul. So there's a couple of different things. There are a lot of versions of the Bible out there. And depending on which church you go to, they may have their pick. By and large, most people want to use the King James Version. I'm not here to condemn one specific version or the other. I've done research, historical research, uh, translation research, and I'm not going to pit one against the other and get into a religious debate about all of that and... And, and be arrogant about it like like some people are. Uh, that's just not my style. Um, usually you, you see abbreviations like KJV or NKJV or NASB or ESV, something like that. And this can be confusing, and there's not enough time uh, to, for me to analyze and examine every single one of these. Suffice it to say, though, the King James Version is probably the most popular and widely used. Its older English is beautiful and poetic, but many people struggle to understand it. As not, there's not a whole lot of people that speaks Shakespearean English on a regular basis. This was originally published in 1611, but most of the people that minister out of the KJV aren't actually even using a 1611 version. They're using uh, the 1769 Cambridge edition, which came out, which has the majority, again, uh, of the people that minister out of KJV uses. Uh, I know of exactly one person uh, that I've ever met that uses a legitimate 1611 version. Everyone else uses the 1769 edition. Uh, so... There's, I mean, that's that's rather interesting, I think. And there are many denominations, some denominations and ministers that believe that the KJV is the only legitimate translation. Again, I'm not going to uh, uh, get into an arm wrestling contest about this. Uh, just know that that is out there, and uh, if you are attending a church that prefers the KJV, you should be aware of that. Um, otherwise... If you do not feel led to to use a KJV, if the Shakespearean language is a little bit too much, I feel like God wants us to understand His Word. I know that we have to dig. I know that we have to 
to research. I know that he wants us to study to show ourselves approved, but I think that whenever you stack archaic English on top of everything else, then you're you're making it harder for people that may uh, that may not be very literate, and the thou and the thou shouts can sometimes cause problems, and a lot of people get discouraged with that. But I think that there is, um, I believe that, that God wants us to know His Scripture, know His words, and you can get a good word-for-word translation that is in a little bit plainer English. And I know a lot of people would not be happy with that statement. If that offends you, I'm sorry. But I've not read anything in the scripture that this says, Thou shalt use the translation that shall be completed in the year 1611. I've never seen any biblical precedence for using the 1611 version only. The only thing I have to go off of is what man says. But that's why I always take things back to the Hebrew and the Greek so that I'm getting the closest version to what has been written during that time. So that I have better understanding. That being said, not every version is a good choice either. Uh, there's a very real danger to adding to or taking away from God's Word. And, and, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. That's in the Scripture. Don't add to or take away. And there are some modern translations that do that and that they don't articulate very well. Uh, and I will say that. I, I will say that you have to be careful. So, nevertheless, again, we do not add, we do not take away from God's Word or do so at your own peril. Some versions translate word for word. That is, every word in Hebrew or Greek is translated as close as possible in the English form of the word. And other translations are thought for thought. So the actual word may not be used, but the idea of what the verse is saying is translated. Um, there are some versions that, that are way out there that I don't look at much. But there's some that are like, for example, I know that the King James Version is linked with the Strong's Concordance, as is the New American Standard Bible. The ESV is a word-for-word -word translation as well. Some people say it's the closest translation to, to the Scripture. Technology was a lot better than it was in 1611. So we have more understanding of languages and context and, and culture than we did in 1611. So, again, I'm not here to pit one version against the other. I'm not going to be in a religious spirit about it. I'm not going to be a Pharisee about it. Uh, whatever church that you join up with, if you want recommendations from your pastor, you go right ahead. You you follow their directives. Um, and, you, and, and most importantly, you be led by the Holy Spirit. Do your own research on your different versions. So let's talk about the Word of God itself. Christians believe that God's Word is divinely inspired. This is 2 Timothy 3 and 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. This means that we believe that although man, man has penned the Bible, it is God's Word and it's divinely inspired. It, divinely inspired really means God breathed. He breathed 
his word. Okay? And so he spoke it to man, and man wrote it down. But God gave us the rhema word. Man, well, God gave us the, the so rhema means spoken. He spoke the word, and man took what God had spoken, and he put it on paper through the accounts of gospels and writings, the history, the, the letters of Paul and, and the others, and, and, and the like. He spoke it, and those are his words on the pages. God's Spirit moved upon the hearts of the man who inspired those pages. When you read your Bible, you are hearing from God Himself. I don't believe that there's been a whole lot of mistranslations. There's not been a whole lot of that. And even if there is, you know, again, this might be a little much for a new convert, but you can let them know that a Hebrew and Greek explanation of those words are available so you can go back and get close to the original language because a lot of people question that you know the bible's been handed off and translated and based off of this translation so many times a lot of people question the authority of god's word but i have found that his word is spirit and his word is life and his word is truth and further it is to be used for formulating the church doctrine for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, God's Word gives us instructions on Christian living that is pleasing to God. It is a rich resource all on its own, and it is how we get to know God as more we read, the more is revealed to us. We, You know, the Bible talks about His character, His mercy, His goodness, His grace, His power, His authority. And the Bible is truth. Jesus is even called the Word of God in John chapter 1. He's actually the Word made flesh, the truth of God's Word made manifest in bodily form. Right? And there's power in His Word. For the Word of God, Hebrews 4 and 12 says, is quick and powerful. That word quick means alive. Alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the, and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is a powerful thing. It's the sword of the Spirit, Paul said. It's the armor. And the sword is the only thing that is... You know, talking about the enemy, all of those weapons, or all that armor that Paul was talking about, all of that is defensive except the sword. The sword is also an offensive weapon, too. It's So, so excuse me, I, I might have misspoke. The armor is for defensive. It stops the enemy from hurting you. But the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God is not only for defense, you don't just block blows with it, but you also deliver strikes and blows with it as well. It's quick, it severs old mindsets off of you, you know, old sinful patterns. The Bible exhorts us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God in Romans 12, and not be conformed to the image of this world and its sinfulness, its worldliness, but be transformed into the newness of Christ by the renewing of our minds. The Word of God does this. There's some things that the Word of God will do for you that nothing else will. His Word truly does have power. You know, he, he, how did He create the world? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke everything into existence. 
That's how powerful his words are. They have creative power. The Bible also says that he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. Like the 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 the, the rain that comes from heaven and does not return there or the snow that comes upon the earth but uh, wa- but waters the earth so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word that proceeds out of my mouth not return unto me void but it will accomplish what I please and prosper unto the thing that I have sent it his word does not return to him void it will accomplish what he pleases it is a powerful thing he had sent his word and healed them delivered them from all their destructions I think it was the Roman centurion that said, "Speak the word only, God, and my servant will be made whole." And uh, and Jesus, all he and all, Jesus said, "Yeah." Jesus spoke the word. He didn't lay hands on him. He didn't anoint him with oil. He didn't spit in the 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 ground and make mud and anoint his eyes. In that particular instance, Jesus did. You know, Jesus might have done those things. You know, in, in different different situations in the scripture, but not for the centurion's servant. All he did was send the word. There was another situation. There was a Syrophoenician woman who said her daughter was grievously vexed, tormented by a demonic spirit. And all Jesus did was say, "You know, go your way. Your your daughter's healed. He, she she's made whole. She's complete." And the demonic spirit left her. That's how powerful His Word is. And ultimately, again, His Word is, that you know, we, we talk about the Scripture, but also, again, John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so it is important for new believers to understand the power of God's Word and to start getting this, in, not only just in their heads, but in their hearts. It's important because the Word reveals the knowledge of the holy. It reveals that it reveals the love of God. It shows them their true identity. It shows us all our true identity in Him. The promises that we can have in Him. That's something we all need. Give us this day our daily bread. And I know that that could be talking about bread our needs. But I think on a, on a much more spiritual level, Jesus was saying, let us have our daily bread, our daily word, our daily sustenance, scripture, you know, our spiritual bread from God's holy word. You know what? After Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he was disguised. They didn't really know it was Jesus when he was resurrected. And so uh, he began to discuss with them, talking about the scriptures, about how all these things were to be fulfilled because they were sad about Jesus dying. And they're like, and, and, his, and his body disappeared, and we don't know what's going on. Some people said he's been resurrected. And Jesus was like, well, let me tell you about this. And so as they're traveling, he's talking with them, and they get to their house, and they said, well, well come in. It's getting late. Spend the night with us, have a meal with us, come on in. And so so Jesus said, okay. And again, they still don't know that it's Jesus at this point. And so when they get in, it said that Jesus blessed the bread. He broke it. And when they did, their eyes were open and Jesus immediately disappeared. 
And they said, Did, didn't our hearts burn within us whenever he spoke about the scriptures? So there's two different things that we need to take from this. I know this is getting kind of deep, but one, whenever we break the bread, talking about the scripture, when we open up the Bible, the disciples' eyes were opened to who Jesus was. When we read the Word of God and we open up, we break that bread, so to speak, our eyes get open to who He is. And then, whenever He speaks the Word to us, it causes a burning inside of our hearts. It causes conviction. The Holy Spirit gets on that and anoints, you know, God's Word is anointed. He anoints that Word and He sets fire to it and the hearts burn within us. He's speaking His Word to us. My heart's on fire. I can feel the burning of the Holy Spirit and the burning of His words. You know, Jeremiah said, His word was like fire shut up in my bones. It's like a strong hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. His word is quick and it is powerful. And we need the, the, the knowledge of the word. We need the wisdom of the word. We need the understanding of the word. By wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. With knowledge, the rooms are filled with priceless treasures. We need the sages of the word brings it brings in the treasury treasures both old and new. We need the old and the new in our life. Yeah, the the Old Testament, the New Testament. We need the old and the new, the fullness of God's word. Jesus came to fulfill that word. He came in the full volume of the book that was written of him. All the word, the scriptures identify him as the Messiah and and the fulfillment of all of that. Old believer, new believer, somewhere in the middle, we all need to be intimately familiar with God's Word. Not just in our head, but also in our heart and to believe what His Word says. It will not fall to the ground void. It will not return to Him void. It will accomplish what He pleases. It will prosper in the thing whereunto He has sent it. And we need that in our lives. But... That is all we have time for today. That takes us through chapter 5. I hope that this message has been a blessing to you. I hope that that you uh, get uh, good takeaways from it. And don't just be a hearer of the Word. Be a doer of the Word. It's, it's great to hear and to have it in your heart. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of what you put in you put the word in then it'll manifest on the outside but again i hope this message has been a blessing to you i hope that it encourages you encourages us all to be more intimate with god's word and to read it to soak it up to eat it to eat the whole scroll of it in the full counsel of god's word god bless you